I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today, I'm continuing to highlight disciples 30 and under who are making this life count. I'm talking to Ben and Melina Hutchins, church leaders and campus ministers at Virginia Tech, located in Blacksburg, Virginia. They planted a church in Blacksburg in August of 2020 in the middle of the COVID pandemic. They were both in their 20s at the time. Listen as they share about how they got their master's in theology, how they host table church to build family and make the most of limited resources, and how they dealt with the tragedy of losing their firstborn baby, Sophia, only a year after planting their church. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. The CLIMB Conference is less than two weeks away, November 30th through December 3rd in Dallas, Texas. It's not too late to sign up. Please go to robskinner.com if you haven't signed up. It's going to be amazing. We've got well over 200 disciples coming. It's going to be a fantastic time. I just was looking at the program with Joel Nagel and Joel Pede, and it's, I'm just, it kind of sent chills down my spine. Like, this is going to be awesome. I mean, the titles, the material, everything that's being provided, I just get the sense God is going to work in a powerful way. So I look forward to seeing you there in Dallas. If you're still wavering, please just go for it, pull the trigger and sign up and let's see you in Dallas in just a couple weeks. Ben and Melina, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I'm always fired up to talk to young people who are leading their own church. Now, how old are you guys? I'll be 28 in a couple weeks. And I'm 31. Okay. That's just like my wife and I'm my wife, Pam, is uh, two and a half years older than me. I prefer to, you know, marry into maturity there. I think it, it adds a lot. So it, it definitely helped me <laughs> early on. And, and so I think that's a smart, smart thing. So how'd you guys become Christians? Uh, I was born on a church planting. Um, my dad held me up like a week or two after I was born on stage, like, Simba in the Lion King as the first baby uh, born on church planting. So my parents both became Christians uh, in campus ministry in the 1980s up in Toronto, Canada. And so I grew up going to church. Uh, as I got older, I was very skeptical. wasn't sure what I believed about God. I wasn't sure what I believed about scriptures and their authority um, or their validity. And I was pretty rebellious. So I was sneaking out of the house and getting in all sorts of trouble and all, all that comes with that. Uh, but it brought me to a really, a really dark, um, depressed and kind of desperate place, all, all of my sin and living a double life. And so I found my, my way to a, a teen camp at Camp Hope for Kids that I was kind of coerced into going to. But while I was there, I heard a message on the cross of Christ and uh, it blew my mind that uh, that Jesus um, lived and died like that and was raised like that, but also that he could love 
and believe in someone like me as lost as I was, as messed up as my life had been, even at a young age, as a teenager. Um, and so I was very aware of my sin and my need for forgiveness and grace. And so seeing Jesus uh, and the idea that while we're still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, uh, that captured me. And so mm. I started studying the Bible, confessing all my sin that week, and got baptized shortly after. So my parents, they are from El Salvador, and there was a civil war in the 70s, and they ended up making their way to Toronto. They were part of like the traditional like mainline church for a bit until the Toronto church planting came like with our churches. And so they, that's where they became, you know, baptized disciples. And um, they were actually the first like married couple in the church, which was cool. So my brother and sister and I uh, grew up in the church in Toronto. And mine was also like a teen camp story. There was, we would attend the New England teen camps up in Maine. And after many years of attending and only really being motivated by meeting cute boys, uh, <laughs> one of the lessons, <laughs> one of the lessons like completely and very unexpectedly <laughs> convicted me about my sin and uh, how God was not pleased with the way I was living. And so I asked to start studying the Bible and um, my mom and a teen worker, Tashna Mason, um, taught me the scriptures. So I got baptized my last semester of high school, uh, January, 2010. And, um, my siblings and their spouses and my parents are still, uh, faithful disciples kind of all over Ontario. So that's awesome. Okay. So brings up a lot of questions. First of all, what was that mission team that your parents were on Ben? Uh, it was to Charlottesville, Virginia, which is the Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Okay. Charlottesville, Okay. So are you guys Canadian citizens? Like what's your citizenship? <laughs> I'm Canadian citizen and a permanent resident here in the United States. <laughs> and I'm a dual citizen. So my parents are both Canadian, um, but kind of as soon as they moved to Virginia, had me. And um, so I, I'm born and raised in Virginia. So you're what's known as an anchor baby. There you go. <laughs> okay. And Hold then, them fast, right? <laughs> that's right. You're still here. Okay. And so you speak Spanish, Melina? Uh, yes. I would say I understand it perfectly and I speak it poorly. <laughs> okay. But your parents came. So apparently they didn't speak to you in Spanish growing up or did? So they did and they still do. They still and they do, speak yeah. to my son in Spanish. But I think I just didn't have an, like a lot of Latinos around me. So I didn't get to like really practice. And, you know, once you go to school, you're only speaking in English and church was all in English. So, so yeah, so I could understand it perfectly. Um, honestly, shout out to my brother. He's like a little bit older than me and he's kind of remastering the language. Um, so I got to learn from him and kind of get my Spanish better again. <laughs> yeah, man, Salvadorans are everywhere. It's It's crazy. <laughs> I grew up in this in the 70s and El Salvador was on the news all the time. I mean, oh, yeah. the civil war yeah. there. Um, what was it? The Sandinista rebels and also and you're just hearing about them constantly. So we have a lot of Salvadorans in our church in Tucson relative to its size. And there's a lot of them all over the place. So that's awesome. So you guys grew, both grew up in Canada. Did you know each other while you were growing up? So I was born and raised in Virginia. 
Right. Uh, oh, okay, that's Canada right. Okay. Year. Okay. We go to right. Canada every year to visit. And so we had lots of mutual friends, but we never actually we never crossed, crossed paths, paths, which is so yeah. crazy. And our parents were all singles at one point uh in Toronto back, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day. Okay, but... so your your parents knew each other, but you guys didn't know each other. That's right. In Correct. Small, yeah. small world. Okay. <laughs> so that leads to how'd you guys get together? Mm-hmm. Great question. And so in Virginia, we're part of the ACR family of churches. And in the ACR, we have a kind of a regional, so seven seven states get together and have a a regional staff retreat twice a year. And I was leading my campus ministry as a student at the time. And so I I was able to come to the staff retreat. I'd been uh, through a breakup earlier that year, was kind of heartbroken, content with being single. And uh, I'm going to this retreat and my, you know, I tell my mom I'm going and she's like, oh, you need to, you need to look and try to meet somebody there. And I'm like, mom, I know all the girls in the ACR, <laughs> not interested. That, that uh, is the most mom statement of all time. I just, it just sounds so familiar to me. Okay. Anyway. It was, I tell her, I know all the girls. I'm not interested, like basically drop it. And so I go to the ACR and little did I know there'd be some Canadians who came down to this retreat unexpectedly. And so I uh, met a Canadian campus minister. We, you know, hit it off, uh, just similar backgrounds. And uh, then he set me up with Melina and and introduced us. And the rest was kind of history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my mom actually also told me to go meet someone. And I was like, yes, mom, (laughs) of course, I am looking. And my friend actually, it was kind of funny. I had, I used to wear a ring on my like ring finger and my friend's like, girl, you need to take that off because it's like the Lord of the Rings. Once you put that on, you're invisible. I was like, you're right. right." (laughs) I've never heard that before. That's hilarious. (laughs) Okay. All right. That's awesome. So you took the ring off. Yes. (laughs) Connected really like right away we connected Mm -hmm. and um yeah okay but it was a long distance relationship how'd you guys navigate that oh my gosh (laughs) i tell people if you're gonna start dating someone long distance you need to count the cost Mm -hmm. because it's painful yeah so especially international i mean just across the border because i can't just casually move just to see how it'll be right so i actually didn't move until five weeks before we got married (laughs) That's a lot of faith so, right there. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. She had planned to move, but she was like, Hey, I, you know, she didn't tell me this, but told kind of mentors in her life. Hey, I don't want to move unless I have a ring. But then I'm like, I'm not going to propose if you're not, you know, if you're not willing to move down here. Right. I know. Uh, it was funny how we navigated that, but yeah. we ended up getting engaged and then she moved down while we we're engaged. And, yeah. uh, it's been wonderful ever yeah. since. Honestly, thankfully, we had a lot of people in our lives that knew both of us mm. and knew each other's families. And so there was just a lot of like security and safety that came with that. From the time mm. of that first date to when you got married, how long was it? What was the time elapsed? And when did you get married? We got married June 10th, 2018. And it was about a year and a half from first date till, till wedding day. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty fast. That's pretty good. That's pretty it, fast. it was, yeah. <laughs> we we had dated, both dated prior um, other people. And I think it just helped us to see like what we both actually needed. It definitely helps to have a little experience, doesn't it? 
You know, I, I dated a, a couple times before I, I met Pam. And by the time Pam came around, I was like, I knew exactly what I was looking for, what I didn't want. And, you know, I was, I was ready for action. I was definitely set, you know, yeah, it definitely helps. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it hurts having those breakups and it's painful, but it, it does serve a good purpose. It gets you ready for the right one. So, mm-hmm. okay. So you guys got married in 2018, five years ago. Pretty young. That's good. And then why'd you guys decide to go into the ministry? So for me, I studied economics in my undergrad and I had planned to go into finance. Um, in that season though, while I was in college, I just like, I, that's why I just, began to love studying the Bible with people. And I'm kind of like just a zealous guy. I kind of give my all to whatever I'm in. And so when I became a Christian, I just was like, everybody needs to do this. This is the most right. important thing in the world. Um, and so I was always evangelistic, but very much zealous without knowledge. And um, when I got to college and kind of started to be, be refined a little bit in discipling relationships and um, God humbling me in different ways, um, I, I really began to kind of dream, like, how can I use my gifts, my um, just whatever God's entrusted me with uh, to serve him, to glorify him? And Matthew 25, the, the parable of the bags of gold, was formational for, formational for me in that season. And uh, so I started that, that, you know, kind of plan to do finance turned into a, a dream maybe to do finance for Hope Worldwide. Um, like, how can I mix my my loves a desire for service and, and to serve people. Uh, and then that dream turned into, I think I really, I'm feeling called to the full-time ministry, mm. um, which grew to, I don't know what else I could do. Uh, I feel like God is calling me in this path and I want to, I want him to say good and faithful servant. I want to be able to glorify him to, to my fullest with, with what I've got. Where so, were you going to school? I was at the university of Virginia, UVA. And that is located. That's in Charlottesville, Virginia. So okay, it's so, where I was born. So literally, we, we, you didn't go anywhere. You didn't leave for college. You stayed at home and had mom cook dinners for you. We no, <laughs> we moved from Charlottesville from that church plant when I was in middle school um, to Virginia Beach, the Hampton Roads Church. Okay, and basically, it's moved to get help with me because I was crazy, mm. um, and they wanted help in their parenting and in, in their marriage and. Uh, that's where I got more crazy, but then eventually studied the Bible, became a Christian, and then God put on my heart to go back to Charlottesville, um, to go to UVA and kind of try to rebuild the campus ministry there. Okay. Charlottesville. Okay. I get confused. There's Charlottesville, there's Charlottesburg. I mean, there's lots of, there's Charlotte. I mean, I, Charlotte, yeah, I'm absolutely. from the West coast, so I, I'm completely oh, yeah. lost. It's just, a mishmash for me. How about for you, Melina? Like ministry, that's a big decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I always felt that I always wanted to be part of what God was doing, and I just wanted Him to use me. So I kind of always like carry that with me. But then I was a little surprised when He started nudging me in the direction of ministry because it's not something I really desired. Like I'm very very introverted. I I love a job with like very clear cut instructions and tasks and <laughs> the box. And I was like, and I love studying the Bible with people. So I'll just do that in my free time. And, um, so that's what I really liked, 
But uh, during my undergrad, I did three different summer internships with different churches in Ontario. And then so those experiences coupled with like my own internal nudging from God and then trusted mentors encouraging me to consider ministry is what eventually opened me up to this life. Although I, I specifically asked, I was like, God, I'm open to ministry, but please, I really want to do it like with my husband, whoever that will be. I just, right. I think I really need that. So, so yeah. And then I ended up doing my undergrad at York University in Toronto, did psychology, and then I did my Master of Divinity at Tyndale Seminary, also in Toronto. And all that's just been super helpful um, for all things ministry. Oh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about advanced degrees. You're, you're using some code words there. You say it was formational for me during that season. When I hear the word formational, when I hear the word season, I go... That's religious talk right there. That's that's that tells me you've uh, been listening to some religious podcasts or you've gone to a theology school. Talk, tell me about your experience in in theology school and why you why did you decide to get an advanced degree? Both of you guys, we got it. You go first. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I did a master of religious education at Rochester University Graduate School of Theology, and I loved it. I'm a big fan and proponent of getting advanced education. I studied uh, religious studies in my undergrad as well as a minor to, to economics. And um, that was interesting because it was at the University of Virginia, which is a um, very secular institution. And so all of my courses are taught by atheists, mm -hmm. you know, trying to prove that the scriptures are invalid and right. uh, they're based on, you know, Babylonian creational you know, accounts, et cetera, you know, all that stuff. Um, but I, I think I, I've fallen in love with studying the original language, you know, at least Greek, one of the original languages of the Bible, studying the scriptures in their ancient contexts and, and throughout history, how they've been used. And so I think I, I, I've loved that stuff, uh, the studying the Bible for myself, because I, because I have a kind of a skeptical background was transformational for me. And, and it's, it, for me, it was the window into how I've, uh, inter interacted with God and gotten to know God. Um, and so basically I've kind of wanted to learn as much as possible. And we've, we've also, we're both passionate about kind of the teaching ministry and teaching disciples to uh, be able to study their Bibles better, to understand scriptures in, in their contexts and then apply them well and uh, all that stuff. So Basically, I wanted to get a master's to be able to um, teach in our congregations better um, and, and help people in their spiritual formation and, and kind of all things along those lines. Um, for me, I, I kind of was like stumbled into it by accident. Um, so in Toronto, also very secular experience. Um, but as I was, you know, moving, getting closer to graduation, I was starting to look at different programs. I was thinking nursing, speech language pathology. I just knew that I wanted to be working directly with people. Um, and then I went to like a graduate uh, fair and there was a seminary there and they were offering a master of divinity in clinical counseling. So it's kind of like a dual degree. So your professors were these, um, you know, PhD from like Fuller theological seminary but also local pastors in Toronto which I was like that is unbelievable and like <laughs> un 
experience. <laughs> um, so I just like applied. I was like, this is a big, hefty degree, but I'm just going to go for it. And I got in. And so I, I had never gotten the theological education at all. And so learning about this stuff, especially being like kind of mixed in with other like church traditions totally was like such a new experience for me. And I felt like defensive and like, also I love them. And I was like, how do I do this? Um, but it was like the best, um, it was best environment to learn people from different, uh, traditions, really challenging the way you think, like, why do you believe that? And, um, writing papers that are kind of questioning everything you've learned but it only strengthened um you know my relationship with god and and i think strengthened um kind of how i did ministry so um yeah so you guys got answered. you guys got all that done before you got married this all happened before 2018 i'm no actually <laughs> i started it my my degree took like 5 years to finish so i had finished most of it and then I finished the last bit when we got married. Got it. And then I I did uh, my master's degree, you know, while I was in the full-time ministry. Um, so after we've gotten married, uh, most of it was during COVID. Um, I started a little bit before COVID and then finished during COVID. So good use of your time there during COVID. Thank you. I was very busy. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> I bet you were. That's that's good. So let's talk a little bit about your your ministry work. You guys lead a church in Blacksburg, Virginia, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. I I um, I'm doing a series on people thirty and under, right? You know, younger ministers, and in particular, I'm interested in people who are leading churches. Now, there's not a lot of church leaders who are leading churches under or even close to 30. Interestingly, the only other person that really comes to my mind right now is Brian and Abby Mackey, who lead the church in Flagstaff, Arizona. Brian and Abby were under 30 when they started leading that church two years ago. And Brian went to school at Virginia Tech there in Blacksburg. So there's a connection. So that's kind yeah, of... Awesome. Yeah, he's a he's a great guy. It's just an amazing couple. But um okay. Let's just talk about how did you guys get most people at your age, they're still leading campus ministries. And I know you are mm -hmm. still leading the campus ministry there, but you're also leading a church. What what what's been the difference for you? Like how did you quickly move into a leadership role of a church? That's a great question and kind of out of necessity. So mm -hmm. We were leading the campus ministry here, so we didn't move somewhere to plant a church. Um, we kind of, and we didn't have funding, by the way, come in either. Uh, we kind of planted with just the, what we had. And um, our, we had been trying to grow the community ministry within our region. We were kind of operating as a region of the Roanoke Valley Church, which is about an hour away. And so we were the campus ministry of that church. Uh, and we still, we're technically a region um, of the, the Roanoke Valley Church. We just kind of operate as our own little body because we're about 45 miles away from, from that city. Mm -hmm. And um, it's called new river Valley church is our, is our, our church here. And it's basically three tiny college towns that are all, all bordering each other. And that's the new river Valley. It's Blacksburg, Radford and Christiansburg. And we planted the, the church or the region here uh, in August of 2020, uh, kind of during COVID and 
we had a kind of a core group here of non-students, and then we had our, our, our campus ministry. We had some Yo Pros, some young marrieds, and a couple uh, older families as well. And we had dreamt of, you know, the, the Virginia churches had dreamt of planting a church in Blacksburg for years. 2020 provided an opportunity of, well, we can't really travel as much and meet in as large of gatherings, so why not do it now? Uh, we have people here already, and, and so that was the vision casted to us, and, and we were eager for it. We love it, um, and so that's what, what we've been doing since. Okay, so it's kind of like a split-off church. It was a church, but it was like a remote section of the Roanoke Valley Church, and so you're the campus exactly. minister, and then COVID hits, and it's like, hey, let's just split you guys off and let you guys run and build your own church. Okay. Exactly. You were like 24, 25 at the time. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's, I, I just love it. Cause that's how old I was when I led my first church. I just go, that's, that's, that's what I dream for the kingdom is we get about a thousand people who are like 24, 25 out of college planting their own churches. I go, that's, that's my dream. I just go that, that would tell me we are on the right path. Okay, so how did you, how did you do it? I mean, where are you getting the money? How are you supporting yourself? It's COVID. Let's talk about some of the challenges. How did you make that work financially and in other ways? That's still a challenge. Um, and the Roanoke Church is very small as well, and we're pretty small. So we aren't financially self-supporting. The Virginia Church is had decided they wanted to make sure that we had campus ministers as a family of churches in Blacksburg and Radford. Virginia Tech and Radford are kind of key regional schools or the college towns that student, you know, people from all these big cities go to, to go to school. And then they all move back to the big churches. Um, and so they wanted to make sure that we had campus ministers there. So they banded together and said, we've got to fund a couple. Um, and so there was challenge for a while to make sure there was a couple here. Um, but that's kind of how we answered the call to, to fill a need here and then, and then stayed, uh, you know, longer term now, six years. Um, and yeah, but so that's, that's kind of where we've gotten funding, but we don't have like, we are a campus ministry with $0 of like a campus budget. We don't have like a activities budget or cookout budget or anything like that. Uh, so we are, we're just pulling scraps together. Everybody has a role. Everybody's part of the family mm -hmm. and, uh, it's it's tough, but it's um, a, a blast as well. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is that the churches in the ACR region pool their money together and send you guys money to keep you guys afloat? Just the Virginia churches, but that's correct. Yeah. Just, the, just in the state of Virginia? Yep. Okay, because a lot of the parents in those larger cities like Richmond and uh, Hampton Roads area, they want to send their kids there but it's going to fall apart unless there's some funding coming from those, those churches. Exactly. Okay. So you guys are living by faith, basically. <laughs> you just, you're, yes. you're, and it's felt like that, honestly. <laughs> you, it's felt you, like you go around and give big hugs to all the families in the, those larger churches and say, <laughs> man, we love you guys so much. Yeah. And then uh, go in and, Hey, can you guys send some more money, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you guys have made it. It's three years, three years in. Melina, what was the experience like getting that church going? It was scary. I definitely did not expect to be leading a church at all at this age. I think growing up in Toronto, you just see kind of the same people up there for a long time. And right. 
and a few of your friends starting to kind of make the way. But when you go from a big church, you kind of, it's a really slow, a slower process, I yep. think, in building up people. But honestly, John and Lindsay, who lead the Roanoke Valley Church, they had so much trust and faith in us. And they really like everything we had to say, they really took it to heart and like it totally even probably more than they needed to <laughs> and we kind of learned how to find that balance but they were yeah they were just so supportive like such um incredible um like cheerleaders for us and always ready to listen and, and walk with us so they really like I know that it's unique for us to have such such a big responsibility at a young age and I totally mm -hmm. I, you know, they're such a huge part of that. Um, so yeah, it was just a lot of it was them and their guidance and mentorship for sure. John and Lindsay. Landis. Landis. Okay. okay. Yeah. I tell people we would not be here if it was not for them. Not only would we not have responsibility like this, um, but yeah, we would, I don't, yeah, we would not be here for sure. Uh, we felt so trusted by them, but also supported and uh, validated, walked with, um, mm -hmm. all of those things. Okay. So what'd you start with in August of 2020, when you started the planting, what, what was your starting number? How's it gone? And can you share any good news, any re miracles, a report on how this mission planting has gone? Oh, it's a hard question because we probably started with about 45, um, and then within a year, because we, again, we didn't have a mission team. There wasn't people who moved in to plant right. this with us. Right. And we started with young couples who had, you know, we had had in our campus ministry who met, started dating and then got married and stayed for a year or two. Mm -hmm. And then a few other couples who were already in the area. Uh, so in 2020, we started with about 45 by 2021. Uh, I, well, in 2021, we had, I think 16 move outs. So 45 became 30. Right. Um, and that was, we, we had a couple of young professionals who got married to, and, and moved to different cities. Sure. Three of our six uh, young married couples moved away for jobs. Uh, and then we had about 10 students graduate and move uh, to get jobs in other places. So 45 down to 30 in the first year in terms of um, those, those starting people, and by now, three years in, I think 10 of that 45 or no, maybe 15 of that 45 are still here. Almost everyone's moved. And so now we're probably around 38 um, uh, in terms of members. And so we've had in the last five years, we've had 60 move outs from our region. <laughs> So you guys, you guys are, you guys, you're like on a treadmill. I mean, you're cranking and kind of staying in place, but you're, you're baptizing a ton of people, but they're moving out. Exactly. Okay. So in that situation, that reminds me of the brother up in state college, Pennsylvania. He's in a very similar, I can't, the name escapes me here. Jameson Malcolm. Jameson Malcolm. I mean, great college ministry, but it, it's just a feeder school, essentially. People go there, they graduate and move on. So how do you how do you set it up in your mind so that you can be successful knowing that you've got at least a quarter of your ministry moving out every year? You're losing at least 25%, plus you got COVID, 
I mean, most churches lost people that I that I know of during COVID, just drifted away. How do you set it up mentally so you know, hey, I'm succeeding. I'm I'm being successful. Even if my numbers, you know, aren't doubling every year, I feel successful and I feel like I'm getting the job God wants me to do done. Uh, we've had to fight to, that's a battle for me personally. Um, I think we've had to fight to see success as people becoming more like Jesus and experiencing the love of God and others. Um, and, and also for us, like we are growing in resilience. We're growing in um, sacrifice in uh, in suffering, like seeing those things as, as leading to glory and not Gloria as our names being great or something, but glory as, uh, in participating with the sufferings of Christ. And so I think seeing that kind of as the spiritual life, rather than our church is going to grow, grow, grow. Um, which is, yeah, cause you're spot on. We, we move out. It, it feels like as many as we baptize, right. um, our campus ministry this year start at 12, we're up to 18, um, this year, but we'll, we'll see, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll hit 20 by December. Um, but then next year, where are we going to be at? We don't know. Exactly. You know, so, exactly. Um, it, seeing that as we are trying to set people up for the long haul spiritually, mm-hmm. right. Um, and watch people live for Jesus all over the world. So put people in the ministry, you know, all those things, those are goals that we have and, and success stories that we get to tell, right. seeing our students get married, uh, and then, you know, be in another church, but be thriving. Yeah. Such beautiful, you know, beautiful stories for us. Right. Mm-hmm. Melina. Yeah. Um, I think for me, similar, like just getting to see their lives afterwards. Um, and then in the last couple of years, we've been able to put six people into the ministry and wow. like to be peers with them now is like so special going from like helping them become Christians to now like working alongside them, giving them feedback on their lessons, like working together um, for like retreats and conferences. And then I think for me personally, also like one of the coolest things I love to see is like um, when our like, you know, people who are still studying the Bible, they really consider this church to be their church. They're like, Ben is my pastor, you know, <laughs> that's what they say. And that just makes me feel like, that's like, I just feel like, like it's really beautiful. And I think I've really come to appreciate those moments a yeah. lot more. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a big, big topic because I know Brian and Abby really wrestle with that in Flagstaff, very similar situation. It's a mountain town built around that college. People typically come in and then they move out after they graduate. So it's it's challenging to develop the the community ministry to form a solid base. It reminds me of a book I read, a couple books I read by John Wooden, who used to coach the UCLA Bruins to like 10 national championships. And he talked about, you know, he won like 10 championships, but he said, listen, if you're a coach in a smaller city, let's say like Butler University or something like that, you have to define success in a way that is works for you. You, you, you're not going to get all the benefits other churches are going to get. And it just resonates with me. It just got, makes sense. Otherwise, you're not going to have peace of mind. You, you have to define it in a way that you feel like, hey, I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I feel happy about that. And so um, it's great. I mean, you're putting people into the ministry. That's amazing. I bet all of the church leaders in Virginia are like so happy with what you guys are doing there. They're probably just pumped 
and never give a thought to the size of your ministry, just all the leaders you're sending their way. They're like, thank you very much. <laughs> Hope so. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Okay. So put six people into the ministry. That's that's awesome. And there's so many people in the ministry that went to Virginia Tech. I don't know. It must be the water or something that that's out there. <laughs> What do you, what do you think that is? I think it's hard. I think it's, I mean, we really are very secluded. Um, we're far away from, you know, Roanoke's an hour away, which was the, you know, the, the parent church. Right. Um, so a lot of those students or well, a lot of the ministers who are in their thirties now who went to Virginia tech, uh, in their earlier mid two thousands, um, they were driving an hour for church, you know, on Sundays. Um, and it was a special group too, of, uh, a lot of guys and girls who, when our churches were really going through some hard stuff, are like, we want to be part of a campus ministry that's still missional, that, that still uh, wants to see the kingdom of God grow in different places. And, mm-hmm. and they all came to get training together. And it's such a beautiful thing. And so now they're all over the world, uh, serving God, leaving, leading churches. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's just a hard, I think it's a hard place to be and to lead and it's lonely. Mm. And I think there's something that builds resilience about that. Yeah. Uh, that, that lasts. Yeah. So I know Forrest and Mandy Vercel, I think they planted that church back in the day, early two thousands. And I think they had like at one point that I think Forrest said they had a hundred baptisms or hundred people on campus at, at one point way back in the day. It's got a great history. It's definitely um, a great legacy you guys are leading. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, leading your own church. Now that you look back on it, Melina, you were 28 when you started leading your own church. Mm-hmm. Any advice you'd give to a person who's maybe in college now or just graduating and goes, man, I want to lead a church young. I don't want to be 40 when I get appointed as an evangelist. Mm-hmm. What what would help a person? Give, give me some practicals. Give me three bullet points. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, Try to be formed into Jesus as much as you can. But I think take every opportunity to just serve. Like if you see, like ask that God will open your eyes to see the opportunities to love and to serve and then just do it. Like, like create margin in your life to be able to be interrupted, to do God's work, whatever that looks like. Um, but yeah, I think that helped me. I just, honestly, the more I served, the more I like got to rub shoulders with like the ministers in Toronto and I just watched them and I learned and I just got to ask a lot of questions and got to do life with them. And that was like the best training. And I was, I'm still like such good friends with the ministers in Toronto and they were just so special. I just tried to find guys who I could look up to and who were, were doing what I wanted to do one day ask them advice, get, you know, say, Hey, can we get a meal? Can we get coffee? Uh, can I give you a phone call? I, I, I looked at the guy when I was a, a student um, leading my campus ministry, I was looking at who are the campus ministers, you know, 10 years older than me, who I want to, I want to lead a ministry like, the, like their ministry. I, I want to be in their shoes 10 years from now, guys like, like Michael Diacchino, uh, who is uh, just super foundational for campus ministries in the ACR uh, when he was in Cincinnati. And so I'm like, okay, I need to go to Cincinnati this summer and intern with him and uh, see, you know, see what he's doing, learn from these guys, rub shoulders with them. And so I think that built connections for me, but it gave me so much wisdom and experience that I'm getting to soak in from someone who's been there before. Um, and then I've just been, been, I think, 
I don't know if it's people's foolishness or uh, or what, but they've entrusted me with with different responsibilities over the years. Um, and so I've just got to to try a lot of things and make mistakes and learn from them. And so what I would tell people is find the guys and the girls who are older than you, who are in the shoes that you want to be in 10 years from now and rub shoulders with them as much as you can be a sponge. Um, and then also be zealous. If you have ideas, try them, uh, study the Bible with a hundred people and you'll get really good at studying the Bible with people, um, because you mess up a bunch, but you'll learn. Right. And so, uh, do the radical things that scare you and, uh, have fun along the way. That is awesome. That's fantastic. There must've been something about you guys that the leaders in Virginia said, okay, they're, they're ready to take this on. So, um, I, I mean, just knowing you so briefly, I can tell you got an intense work ethic. You guys both got your master's done in the last, you know, last four or five years. That's pretty impressive. You didn't just laze around during COVID. You used it productively and it apparently you're willing to overcome introversion and take on, take on new challenges. And at least for you, Melina, and, and then just try something absolutely different, just taking risks. How do you, you know, how do you, how do you overcome the fear that comes with taking risks? I mean, you just, the fear of failure, the fear like, Hey, we could just completely flop. We could be the embarrassment of the entire, you know, state of Virginia. How did you just go, okay, in spite of that, we're going to move forward. Mm. Mm. I haven't thought about failing all that much. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's probably the answer right there. (laughs) Don't think about it. We've wanted to quit lots of times. Sure. um, Because we, maybe because we felt like, you know, we're failing. Mm. Um, I think I've always felt like there's, we got, there's something else we can do. Um, And so for instance, our church, uh, you know, our, our weekly attendance is probably like 50 something. And mm-hmm. in the summer, when most of our campus students go to internships, go home, uh, go to other places, uh, that, that 50 people at church turns into like 20, 25 people mm-hmm. at church, probably, yeah, probably 20, 20 or 25, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so something we did this summer was we came up with this idea to do table church and we kind of talked about is this cool thing. And what that meant was we had church around tables um, and it church became not so much this, um, sir, you know, kind of this production that I'm just putting on by myself, whereas it might usually be like that. Uh, it became this every, you know, each person we can, everybody can have a chance to, if they want to this week, they can uh, read a Psalm. They can share a scripture. We'll have random people lead in songs around a table mm-hmm. where we're eating food. And then, uh, and I'll do a little sermon uh, and then the service will climax with um, taking communion together. And church became this very communal event around a table with its, you know, 25 people around a table, uh, including guests and things like that. And so that was a, a risk in some senses, because it was also in our, in our house. And uh, so a lot of, a lot of setup each week. Um, but then it became this beautiful 
beautiful thing for for all the people in our church and mm-hmm. it just turned you know we're a family and mm-hmm. in a small church you you really are a family that's yep. kind of a, a foundation or pillar of our, our ministry and how we do ministry and so taking little risks like that of how, trying to be creative right. with what we have because we don't have a lot of resources right we don't have a lot of people uh what do we have and how can we try to be the people of god in this place um with what we've got right so that's kind of always the question we're asking. That's awesome. We love it, church. <laughs> yeah. And so do you guys have a meal together? Is that, is that so it's church yeah. plus a meal, like a fellowship meal? Absolutely. Exactly. Everybody brings something and then we have like a little potluck. We all sit down with our food. We're eating, fellowshipping. It's really fun. And then kind of when there's a bit of a lull, people are almost done eating, then we'll start our little table church service. Yeah. And we do that through the summers and then kind of around seasons where students are in town because Blacksburg is a town that's like 40,000. That's like not, you know, 80 or 90,000 when the students are all there and then 40,000 the rest right, of the year. Right. So uh, in those seasons around Christmas this week for Thanksgiving throughout the summer, we, we've started doing table church. That's a great uh, and then idea. Services kind of the rest of the year. Yeah. That's awesome. So, What's your approach to ministry or your ministry philosophy? What helps you make a difference? When I think about our ministry philosophy, we think, and because we're in a small church that has been transient over the years, our kind of guiding principle for how we do ministry is uh, maybe quote unquote life together. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a, has a great little book on uh, called Life Together about kind of doing discipleship communally. And so we've tried to let that be uh, because really it's it's based off of Jesus's model. His disciples weren't just those who came to church on Sundays or synagogue, you know, for them, but uh, they were those who left everything they had and did life with him 24 seven, three, six, five for years. Right. And then that's how the local church began. Um, and that's what drew, you know, in the book of Acts, that's what drew people to the disciples was the power of the Holy Spirit, but then the power of the Holy Spirit among them in their life mm-hmm. together in Acts 2, right? And then move on there. You see whole, whole households become Christians, and it's this life together that they're sharing. So the idea of, of Mark 3, where Jesus says, these are my brother, my sister, my mother, etc., those who, who do the will of God. That's our goal is to do the will of God together. And so we do that through every other midweek on Wednesday nights. We, uh, we just go into homes and have basically a family devotional, intergenerational family devotional around a table uh, over a meal. And uh, we do that every other week. And then we do that on every special occasion and um, do, you know, table church in, you know, for parts of the year. But that's how we, we kind of structure all of our ministry. Mm-hmm. And we try to adopt kind of a, a centered set approach rather than a bounded set. And what I mean by that is... Um, this might sound weird, but our goal isn't like for people just to get baptized. Our goal is for people to become part of the spiritual family right. and to become uh, like Jesus. Obviously, baptism is is the birth into the kingdom of God. It's the beginning of that journey. But our so we kind of have a long view. Even if people are only here for three or four years, uh, we're like, well, we want them to become family in that time. And so we have a lot of students who. Or, you know, this is their church and they haven't gotten baptized yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we have big pushes, you know, at different parts of the year evangelistically, um, obviously uh, beginnings of each semester and throughout the semester. But then we really 
focus on those relationships mm. and we don't we don't kind of drop those off we kind of commit to those and bring those people in and then we have lots of people who do life with our church and they have been for a while um where some of them made jesus the lord of their life a year year and a half two years later uh, some haven't made that decision yet but we look forward to that day so mm. we kind of structure all of our ministry around life together That's building awesome. family so mm. anything you'd add um, I just, I think I love when we do anything around a table, like even just the physical, like we are facing each other. I have to look at you in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to think of something to say. <laughs> I think it like, honestly, we do a lot of training here, like life training for our, our students. So like learning how to have a conversation, learning how to contribute and bring something. Right. And uh, I think it just all kind of like, you know, we really try to holistically, you know, create disciples, but, you know, people who are more like Jesus and Jesus is a cool guy. Right, <laughs> like, exactly. Would, you know, he'd probably make something awesome for our potluck. So, <laughs> um, yeah, just thinking about all of that together, we really just try to love them and, you know, walk with them wherever they're at. You guys are getting a lot done in your 20s. That's that's pretty impressive. Get your master's, go to college, lead a campus ministry, plant your own church. You've also faced some difficulties. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, the most difficult thing that we've ever been through, kind of the great suffering of our life, uh, is in 2021, we'd gotten pregnant at the end of 2020, and we're expecting our daughter uh, on August 6th of 2021, which was both of our mom's birthday and my grandfather's birthday. And so this this kind of sacred day for our families in a lot of ways. We're expecting our first daughter, the first grandchild on both sides. And uh, she she wasn't born on time. Um, so on August 7th, um, we started, you know, it's normal for babies to be late, but Melina wasn't feeling our daughter Sophia move as much. And we got concerned and we ended up going to the hospital. And uh our, our daughter ended up being stillborn. She, she was born dead. She had died a couple of days after her due date. And um, it rocked our world, mm-hmm. uh, broke our hearts, and in many ways caused us to cling to God in ways we've, we've never even imagined before, but also have to process and well, suffering. And how, how do you make sense of a God who allows suffering. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, the whole pregnancy was like perfect. It was really healthy. I had no health issues at all. So we had nothing to be concerned about. Um, especially near the end, I had just had an appointment, um, like two days prior, everything looked good. Um, and yeah, so it was really really confusing when she passed I like I couldn't believe it and then it felt like uh just a nightmare um because I had to get induced and so I was in labor you know I just I couldn't even like touch my belly anymore I just if it just I truly was like carrying death inside my body is like the thoughts that like came to mind and Psalm 23 came to mind the whole time uh we were in the hospital just you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, um, you're with me, your rod and your staff, they come for me. It was like the line that just kept replaying. I didn't talk to God or anything. I just, 
it just felt like just total darkness. And eventually I had to get a C-section, which was, um, I think with all the anxiety and just fear I was feeling, I just, we both just thought I was going to die during it too. And, um, so it was really hard. And then, you know, we got to be with her for, uh, like two days and we just, um, we danced with her and, um, yeah, we just prayed with her and we sang songs of worship and her parents um, were there and we had a photographer come in and take pictures with all of us and that was really special and I was grateful for that. I didn't think I'd want those pictures, um, but they're like such a, a gift now. Um, and then later we got to celebrate we did like a life honoring um for her and we we took communion together we shared we worshiped god during it and um we had our parents speak we just really wanted um we just really wanted to point it toward jesus and and help people remember that um everything will be made right when Jesus comes back and we'll get to dance with our daughter um, again. And we actually, we have a 19 acre property, like a family property here in Blacksburg. And we got to bury her um, right close to our house in a Sumac um, Grove. So we call it Sophia's Grove and mm. it's really beautiful. So really grateful for that. And um, through this, we've, made friends with another couple who lost their twins to stillbirth and they're also believers and they've been like the most incredible friendships so healing so like loving and um we do a lot of life together and i think without them um you know as hard as it's been it would have been even more difficult so like we're forever grateful to god for that connection because our kids would have been born within two weeks of each other mm -hmm. um so it's really special to have them around yeah i am so sorry about that that's just terrible how how did you navigate that just the just trying to understand it like why just how do you reconcile that in your relationship with god yeah. I learned uh, what lament really is. Um, and we've, I mean, we've learned about suffering. We, uh, I think we have learned what it means to long for the new creation mm -hmm. and the new heavens and the new earth come together when every tear is wiped away, when every knee bows, when every knee confesses that Jesus is Lord because he's in, in his glory among us again, and we're walking with him, and every wrong is made right. Um, when, uh, it, when when everything is sad, it becomes untrue, uh, to, quote, to, to quote Tolkien. It makes us long for all of that so much more. And what I've told people who've asked is, I I I just I didn't long for God. I didn't long for uh, the new heavens and the new earth or the resurrection. Uh, I mean, I didn't know how to long for it. I don't think. I mean, I like, oh yeah, we look forward to those things 
treasures in heaven, et cetera. I, I didn't know what it meant to long for justice, for every wrong in this world to be made right, um, for the healing of, of the cosmos of the whole creation. Like, I didn't know what it meant to long for those things. And I think I've begun to understand them a little bit more. We went through really, really dark days for a long time. Um, we had many friends from other places uh, pitch in and um, just send us money unexpectedly to, to go on a trip, on a vacation to get away and process um, after that. And that uh, is something we're so grateful for. Um, we ended up going to Iceland where um, we got to see the Northern Lights. And I just felt like our daughter was dancing in, in uh, the realms of eternity. And uh, as we saw these lights dance across the sky, and uh, I mean, I've never been so grateful for a, a gift, I think, as, as I was for that. So it's been, I mean, dark. We constantly are asking and, and just randomly we'll be hit with the emotions uh, and the tears of as we watch our son hit, you know, hit his milestones and, and him grow up, uh, we see all the things that we didn't get to see with our daughter. Yeah. And, um, but then yet we hope for, for the next life, eternal life, even more when we can see those things. So. How, how did you, what was it like? You've had a, a second child. How did you, that must've been scary. What, what was going through your mind? the second time around yeah we after losing Sophia we like went and got tests done and we saw um like specialists just to see if there was anything that could have prevented that and we had no answers um so going in to the next pregnancy we're just like so we could lose him at any time we could literally have another stillbirth um so all of our providers were just like, let's just induce, induce you at 39 weeks because we don't know what happened at 40 weeks uh, with Sophia. So we'll induce you at 39 with Judah. So that was kind of always the plan. But then I was a uh, high risk pregnancy. So I was just going in all the time for ultrasounds and tests and um and everything went fine, which was no comfort to us <laughs> until like we had him in our arms. Um, but yeah, everything was just, you know, it's, a, I think hospitals are just very tainted <laughs> now, yeah. especially with Benjamin. Did you ever find, yeah. did you ever find out what happened with Sophia? Did you ever, ever get no. an answer for why that happened? No answers. <laughs> no. Yeah. Her heart just stopped beating and they, they have no idea why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she was a beautiful little baby. I mean, she looked amazing and um, yeah, she looks like her brother. <laughs> um, she looked perfect. Um, but yeah, she just, yeah, she just died. And then, you know, as time passes, how, how do you, you've, You've got a, a healthy baby boy now. His name's Judah. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. You can never replace the one you lost. How does it, how does it just, how do you deal with that? Just having a healthy baby, but then you've got this gap. It's hard. Every, um, I mean, I, you know, I ask everyone to pray mm. 
all the time when uh when we were pregnant with Judah and when we were in the hospital I it, it felt like a miracle um when when Melina was able to have a VBAC with him and mm-hmm. he was healthy there's a lot of scares along the way um and so we just felt the prayers of everyone uh everyone in the ACR honestly <laughs> literally and but then it's every moment since there's there's been anxiety there's he just turned one uh three three and a half weeks ago and his birthday was beautiful and celebration for us but it's also mourning it's um sophia didn't have her first birthday and um so we always carry that with us when people always ask me is he my first and uh, no how old's your first well she would be uh two and in, in three months now mm-hmm. um but she passed and uh, judah's gonna grow up as as if he's the oldest mm-hmm. uh, but he's not the firstborn and so there's just those those things that we wrestle with and uh that just make us long for e- long for eternity mm-hmm. and uh and and mourn and grieve as we celebrate mm-hmm. kind of holding those those things that the tension yeah. of the the now and the not yet mm-hmm. yeah always holding those two things like every every cool thing that happens with judah is like like i didn't get to do that with sophia the first birthday party i was like man i'd been planning that for sophia for like years now <laughs> and um that's different and um so you're just always thinking about it just in different ways. Well, what was the impact on the church? I mean, this is right during it's the first year of your church planting. I mean, yeah. you've got a small church. How did it impact the church? What was that like? Hard, very hard. I think we had student leaders and other just people in our congregation who wrapped their arms around us. And I think they, I think we, as a as a church family, learned how to grieve communally. Yeah. Um, most of them were were at our our celebration of life with Sophia. Uh, they helped us bury her. Um, we, you know, everybody had an opportunity to use the shovel and and um, put a scoop of dirt into the hole. And I think that meant a lot for people to just take part in in the suffering and and the grief and and learn what that means to grieve as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people learned how to step up and, 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 and gave us space, you know, for those first few weeks, I wasn't preaching on Sundays, you know, we were coming to church barely, you know, just barely showing up. Um, and, uh, you know, every service we're crying, you know? And so I think people learned how to just be present for us, how to, uh, people making us meals you just they wrap their arms around us mm-hmm. they learned how to love serve hold space for silence and grieve communally mm-hmm. um i think what's hard now is then ha- you know half of the, our church at the time who was there when our daughter passed has moved and so half of our church now are, are young christians um and and you know freshmen in college and so they don't a lot of them don't even some don't know that about us uh or that none of them are there so there is a there's a tension in that too of like there's this whole part of our life that um is kind of invisible for for most people right Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, also such a defining moment in our life. Yeah. So I think we really wanted to make sure that our church got to suffer with us, you know, because it was their baby too, you know, mm-hmm. like everyone yeah. was really excited. So we wanted the service to be a communal, like, let's get together and just sit with each other. And, and we, we also like our parents paid for catering and we really wanted everyone to eat together after and, and be together. Um, so that was, that was really important to us. And yeah, the burying her, everyone getting to shovel in some dirt. (laughs) It was, it was really special. Mm -hmm. I was really grateful for that. Wow. Yeah. Well, you guys have lived a, a couple lifetimes in the in the short time you've been here. What advice would you give to people who want to make this life count? Hmm. I think about Jesus's first words of his his public ministry, where the time has come, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. And when I think about making your life count. I think about Jesus' ministry was to inaugurate, to to begin the kingdom of heaven on earth. And what that means is that we don't just have to look forward to eternity. We don't have to just look up, you know, to to heaven one day in that hope. But Jesus has, has, you know, emptied the tombs that heaven could break into our lives and spaces here. And so when I think about making this life count, I think about, thinking about, you know, we get to be co-laborers with Jesus of bearing and bringing and building his kingdom in our spaces as it is in God's space, in heaven. Every time we pray, that's what we're praying for. That's what we we eagerly anticipate the fullness of, but we get to be part of the building of that now, uh, building for eternity. And so when I think about that, I think about um, make make disciples your your spiritual family uh, part of our our ministry approach is we take mark three seriously and jesus says these those who do the will of my father in heaven are my my mother my brother my sisters um make people your family do life with christians and co-labor with jesus uh, to to help build the kingdom of god in our places mm-hmm. yes i totally agree and i think yeah, maybe it's kind of basic, but I just would add, like, do everything in your power to shape your rhythms, your life, schedule, work, play around becoming more and more like Jesus. There's nothing more life-giving than that. And cut out distractions. Mm-hmm. Distractions are the things that, that kept so many people in Jesus' day uh, away from following him. Um, mm-hmm. Cut out distractions, create the space and the margin that we need in our lives to become more like Jesus, to imitate his rhythms, his life, and and ultimately his sacrifice. Okay. So let me just ask you, how do you do that? Like what, what does that mean to you? Which part? Cutting out distractions. Mm. I think the idea of what are the things that are most important to you um, and so there's distractions of like, what, what are we, what are the most important things in our lives? Um, if it's comfort, I think with working with young people, comfort is, um, I think one of their enemies, I think it's a great enemy mm. of becoming like Jesus is being comfortable. And uh, I work with a lot of young men. And so that looks like, 
uh, staying up late, playing video games, um, and, and then sleeping in. And so I think about what are the healthy rhythms? Well, we Jesus got up early to pray, and you can't do that regularly if you stay up really late. Um, video games are, in, I, I'm now I'm probably preaching, but video games in so many ways are an escape. If, you know, Jesus says, these are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, then one of the most important things for us should be our life with disciples um, and our life with other Christians and how that should affect the communities that we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like there's a guy that I studied the Bible with in the spring, who's now one of my great friends. He became a Christian. And then we just got to study the Bible with one of his best friends. Uh, and he, he got baptized last night. And I think about stories like that. It's because we're me and Devin are becoming family. So then what does he do? He brings Gino into our family. Um, and, and so how the, the domino effect of doing life together, prioritizing our, our faith uh, and the family of faith um, over kind of the things that just empty us, that drain us, mm. video games, doom scrolling on our phones, social media. Uh, I, I think about those as distractions that, that just numb us. They don't actually build relationships or vulnerability or intimacy, um, but they're kind of empty promises. So I think about things like that, cutting those things out, having rhythms of uh, healthy rhythms of rest, Sabbath, retreat, whatever you want to call it, prayer, Bible study, uh, and then life in community where we're seeking to co-labor with Jesus um, as those being the rhythms that that run your week, your month, your Mm -hmm. year. Amen. Uh, so I'm probably started preaching there, but <laughs> that's what comes to mind. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for sharing about, um, the painful tragedy you've gone through. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for what you're doing for the kingdom of God. You're an inspiration to me. And I, I pray that there's a thousand couples like yourself who raise up in the kingdom and do exactly what you're doing. So all the best to you. Definitely be praying for your work there in Blacksburg. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you for having us. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. Here's how you can help support the program. First, hit the subscribe button and send a link to your friends. Secondly, read and review one of my books, How to Plant and Grow a Church or Courage, How to Make This Life Count. You can find them both on Amazon.com. Finally, support the Rob Skinner podcast with a gift. The link is in the show notes because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no-regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day, and make this life count.